0: episode 111. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me your host Connor Hanrity. We are still stuck in Gertrude's closet as this awkward parental dialogue continues between Gertrude who doesn't know what to make of Hamlet's behaviour and Hamlet who is desperate to get through to his mother. The Queen has been trying to calm her anxious son and has suggested that perhaps it is his madness or his ecstasy that has caused him to imagine he saw his father's ghost. Hamlet is having none of it. He did, after all, see the ghost. In the folio text, he echoes Gertrude's previous line and begins this speech that's about to start with ecstasy. He continues, My pulse, as yours, doth temperately keep time, and makes as healthful music. It is not madness that I have uttered. Bring me to the test, and I the matter will reword which madness would gamble from. Mother, for love of grace, lay not that flattering unction to your soul that not your trespass but my madness speaks. It will but skin and film the ulcerous place, whilst rank corruption, mining all within, infects unseen. Confess yourself to heaven. Repent what's past, avoid what is to come, and do not spread the compost on the weeds to make them rancour. Forgive me this, my virtue, for in the fatness of these Percy times, virtue itself of vice must pardon beg, yea, curb and woo for leave to do him good. If you ever wanted a particularly clear example of how Shakespeare can manipulate blank verse and its rhythms to make a point, this is it. Gertrude is worried that Hamlet is hysterical and mad, so Hamlet responds to her in very measured even verse. Only four of the lines here have any extra syllables, and each of them serves to highlight particularly important words. Madness, madness, heaven, and virtue. Now, we've already discussed that a feminine ending is a line of verse that has an extra beat or syllable, which denotes that something is not quite right, that something is getting in the way, The most perfect example is to be or not to be, that is the question. It is a question and it demands more thought. It's not a simply answered problem and therefore it's not a simple clean line of 10 syllables. So the line has 11 and has been stuck in our heads for centuries. The only word in that line that has even more than one syllable is question, it's maddeningly clever. And speaking of madness, Hamlet here again shows his mastery of language and of verse. Gertrude is worrying that Hamlet is not in control, that he's ecstatic, not in a fun, happy way, but in an out-of-his-mind kind of a way. Hamlet's reply not only talks about how he's calm, but even the rhythm of it is calm. My pulse, as yours, doth temperately keep time. I am calm, my heartbeat is normal, temperately keeping time just like yours, he's saying. And the next line sounds almost as smooth, and makes as healthful music it is not madness. Now did you see what he did? Shakespeare writes a line in ordinary blank verse and makes as healthful music it is not. And then he includes an entire bonus foot, two extra syllables to emphasise how madness does not belong. It's almost as though Shakespeare is letting madness poke out of the lines and then get folded back into the rhythm of how Hamlet is speaking, just as Gertrude's own heart rate begins to calm down. The next line is metrical again, that I have uttered bring me to the test, ten syllables. And then he puts madness at the end of the next line, but this time it's only one syllable extra, and I the matter will reword which madness. And then we get a good few lines of metrical verse to follow. Madness is the question, is Hamlet mad or is he ecstatic and so on. But Hamlet answers by weaving the word madness back into the fabric of his speech. And the next time, when it comes up in another few lines time, it fits perfectly within the rhythm. Now, as for what he's actually saying, My pulse as yours doth temperately keep time, and makes as healthful music. It is not madness that I have uttered, bring me to the test. And I, the matter, will reword which madness would gamble from. My heartbeat is just as calm as yours, just as metrical or as musical. I am not speaking madness or saying anything crazy. Put me to the test, and I would say it all over again, calmly and rationally. If I was mad, my thoughts would dance madly or gamble away from it. Another metrical thing that's going on here is the use of the cesura, which is a pause that cuts through a line of verse. There's a little pause between from the full stop, and what Hamlet says next. He continues, Mother, for love of grace, lay not that flattering unction to your soul, that not your trespass but my madness speaks. It will but skin and film the ulcerous place whilst rank corruption, mining all within, infects unseen. Don't flatter yourself, he's saying. Don't go thinking that what's upsetting you is my madness rather than what you yourself have done. Strangely, or not, the word Shakespeare uses is unction, an obscure word for an ointment that is generally used only for the Catholic sacrament of the sick. Extreme unction is a comfort offered to the dying. What Hamlet seems to be suggesting is that Gertrude's soul is in peril if she cons herself into thinking what's bugging her is Hamlet's behaviour rather than her own past actions. He continues that such thoughts will but skin and film the ulcerous place, whilst rank corruption, mining all within, infects unseen. Such an unction, such flattery, might paper over the cracks or form a skin over the wound, but even while it does so, rank corruption, which mines or feeds on everything under the surface, will continue to infect. Again, the word rank appears for Gertrude's behaviour here. Hamlet won't give her an inch. I'm not mad, you're distressed, because you know very well what you've done. There's another sejura after unseen, and we get further instructions for Gertrude. Hamlet tells her to confess yourself to heaven, repent what's past, avoid what is to come, and do not spread the compost on the weeds to make them rancor. Hamlet goes from one sacrament to another. He's telling her to confess and repent and avoid any further sins. What is to come is a vague reference to what Gertrude might do later that evening and it's picked up in the text that we're going to cover next week. He's telling her not to feed the weeds of corruption with any more compost, lest they grow even ranker. Rank again. And we have another caesura here and then another instruction. Forgive me this, my virtue, for in the fatness of these percy times virtue itself of vice must pardon beg. Yea, curb and woo for leave to do him good now hamlet is being a little bit self-righteous here begging his mother's pardon for his virtue he's saying forgive me for saying all this it's all well-meaning and virtuous but we are in such a state here in denmark that virtue has to ask pardon of vice has to apologize for itself there's a language of excess there's fatness and the percy time that time is now like an overstuffed bag or something that has to be curbed He's saying I have to apologise to the bad for even trying to do him, or in this case her, some good. In other words, believe me Mom, I'm trying to help you. Gertrude is beginning to see the light and makes a very real confession of how she's feeling. Oh, Hamlet, thou hast cleft my heart in twain. She's feeling like her heart has been torn in half, half to Hamlet and half to Claudius, her husband. Hamlet, of course, has an answer immediately. He says, Oh, throw away the worser part of it and live the purer with the other half. Good night, but go not to mine uncle's bed. Assume a virtue if you have it not. Again, it's all short syllables, all evenly metrical, insistently making the point that Hamlet isn't mad. He suggests that she throw away the half of herself that sides with Claudius so that she can live the purer with the other half, which sides, of course, with him stop siding with Claudius and thereby sin no more, he's saying, save yourself. Good night, but please don't go to Claudius's bed. And then we get an almost uncharacteristic line from Hamlet, assume a virtue if you have it not. We've had the language of clothing and of honesty from Hamlet way back at the beginning, indeed to talking to his mother, when he's saying things like, seem, madam, nay, I know not seem. Back then, Hamlet refused to pretend or to seem like anything because he was so consumed with what he really was, but now he's telling his mother that she should at least pretend to be good, even if she isn't actually feeling it. It's quite a turnaround, since Hamlet himself is trying to steer Gertrude towards goodness, even with this seeming. But the moral landscape is getting more complicated. For Hamlet, everything used to be a very forthright black and white, and now He's having to be more cunning and manipulative and employ more nuances and even some lies in his dealings. He's going to continue these instructions to his mother, who is surely by now just wishing that this dreadful day would finally come to an end, and we will resume Hamlet's speech in the next episode. For any Leaving Cert students who have tuned in, I'm going to put some notes on blank verse and metre and the use of poetry, particularly exemplified by the text we've covered this week, on the website, thehamletpodcast.com. Thanks a million for listening, and as always, I'll speak to you next time.